passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I said when I became the WWE champion that I was going to change the world. But to change the world, we need new symbols. Rowan, bring it out. This is the new symbol of excellence. This is your new WWE Championship! As if they don't have too much on their plates, the Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They'll talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rwanda Smackdown! Rwanda Smackdown! Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. I'm John Pollock here with Wei Ting. Another night, another show to discuss. Wei, how's your world going tonight? Pretty well. Not bad. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Looking forward to chat. There's lots to talk about. Very busy day. Very busy. Let's, let's, how do, how would you like to start? Well, off the top, I do want to, uh, Repeat what we talked about on Monday uh, for those that maybe did not listen. WrestleMania weekend, it is so much bigger now because we have announced that post-wrestling live from New York is happening on Sunday, April the 7th at the Broadway Comedy Club with a special Q&A show with the two people you're listening to at this moment. Yeah, that's right. It's going down at noon. That's uh, that's right. Yeah, twelve o'clock, uh, Broadway Comedy Club, which is very close to Port Authority, and this is a, uh, of course, just hours before WrestleMania itself on Sunday. So, on your way towards WrestleMania, uh, we would love it if you could come join us and uh, say hi. Um, ticket information will be available very shortly. Awesome. So, mark that down. Sunday, April the seventh, WrestleMania weekend, noon, Broadway Comedy Club. Should be a lot of fun. So. Um, this week on the site, we have all our regular shows, including the double shot that's going to be dropping imminently. If you are a member of the post wrestling cafe way, what do you have in store for everybody tonight? Well, I'll be talking about total divas or I mean, total Bellas as usual. Uh, this is the latest edition of being the elite as well. We will be chatting about WWE's latest two offerings over the weekend on the network, including uh, WWE 24 covering WrestleMania 34 and the Page Chronicle special that just aired. Ooh. So lots of stuff coming up on the double shot. You can get our full schedule of shows up at postwrestling.com, but we've got a cafe hangout 
live on Thursday at 3 p.m. We'll be taking calls on that show if you're a double-double or higher member of the show. We'll also have Rewind Away on Friday for patrons. And this weekend, we have a new beginning show, two new beginning shows happening Saturday and Sunday that Way and I will be reviewing afterwards. Braden and Davey, they'll have a show Thursday and Sunday because they're also going to come back Sunday night after halftime heat and give, I guess, a uh, a post-game report on the halftime heat. Yes, that's right. Will they be talking about football as well? I'm sure they'll have a detailed rundown of the Patriots and Rams and uh, whether any pass interference calls were ignored or not. I'm sure they will be all on top of that as the uh, the Patriots cruise to victory. Lovely. So all of that uh, coming up this week. But let us get into the news of the day. You know, last night I was saying eh, there there wasn't a crazy amount going on. Complete opposite today. Uh, late Monday night, there was a report that came out from uh, Wade Keller at the Pro Wrestling Torch regarding Dean Ambrose. That over the weekend, he had met with WWE officials and stated that he would not be signing a new contract extension. His deal is set to expire in April and in the report, it stated that Ambrose was um, pretty clear. This was not about money and trying to get more out of it. He's done. When his contract's up, he's walking away. And uh, Mike Johnson added that apparently the deal on the table for Ambrose was a five-year contract worth a little over seven figures annually. So we're talking a big contract for Dean Ambrose. And so the story is out. And then the WWE made the decision to put out a statement that they sent out to members of the media and have also posted on their website that reads, Dean Ambrose, Jonathan Good, will not be renewing his contract with WWE when it expires in April. We are grateful and appreciative of all that Dean has given to WWE and our fans. We wish him well and hope that one day Dean will return to WWE. Yeah. It was fascinating. I I mean, you know, me being up late at night uh, when this story broke uh, on PW Torch, I, like a lot of people, maybe questioned it. Um, but coming from a trusted source, source such as Wade Keller, I don't think uh, I think there there's uh, obviously a ton of credibility behind that that journalism. So um, we knew, like everybody knew, it was a big deal, and I think. You know, talking about last night's edition of Raw, and in particular, like, the way that curb stomp was sold by Dean Ambrose, it really, to me, kind of put that into context a little bit. Um, I think, obviously, the big story here is the huge ramifications that something like an all-elite wrestling already has been having. Uh, We don't know if Ambrose... You know where he's going, obviously, uh, if he's going anywhere else or if he's going to take a break. We don't know any of that. But I would really um, I think it's it's safe to say that I, I feel it's the current landscape of professional wrestling that makes somebody like him feel uh, confident and comfortable enough to make a move like this. Yeah. So in asking around a bit, um, you know, th- there were people in creative that. We're not aware of this with Dean Ambrose until the story broke. So this was not something, at least during Raw, that was widespread. It wasn't until afterwards that I guess word started getting around. So, I, I mean, obviously there was an inner circle that was uh, aware of what was happening here. But it was um, 
pretty quiet, it sounds like, during the actual show. And, like, I had been told that there were plans for Dean Ambrose, um, you know, even through Fastlane. So they were of the impression that Dean Ambrose was going to be around. Now, this has obviously uh, may impact that. There's no knowledge of how is the company going to use Dean Ambrose moving forward. And I can see many scenarios from all of this that uh, are they going to incorporate this into his character? They, in theory, have this guy for another three months. Are you just going to put him on the sidelines and not utilize him anymore? Give that spot to somebody else? Are you going to use this in some way? Um, they were teasing him doing that promo on Raw. So they could certainly incorporate this in some weird way. Um, and there's also the idea that maybe the, maybe the company, like you obviously know the company does not want to be losing this guy. They don't want to be losing the revival. They certainly don't want to be losing Dean Ambrose that maybe they turn this into some kind of an angle in the hopes that Ambrose changes his mind, that they have three months that hopefully this guy will have a change of heart. It's possible. Yeah, I don't even completely rule out that this could be some type of elaborate work. Who knows what what's going on? But I would say that would be very unconventional. Uh, but these days, I mean, unconventional might be the way to go. So who really knows? But um, the the WWE, I'd be very, I'd be very skeptical of that one. I know that when the WWE put this statement out, that was everyone's immediate go to here. But I have a really hard time accepting that one. But I, I guess you can't rule that out a hundred percent. Um. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what what'll change between maybe now and April. You know, a lot can can change. Um, but I I find their response to the rumors, the internet rumors at this point, like really really fascinating. Like what was kind of behind the WWE's decision to go ahead and release that statement rather than just kind of let let those rumors sit. Obviously, I guess you know you tell me, John. Like if a journalist questions the WWE, is it? How 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 imperative is it on them to issue a response? Do they have to issue a response? Is this type of response, you know, to be expected? Could they have not said anything? Or I mean, what? last week, I mean, last week we saw how they reacted to the Ronda Rousey story. They released the information about her contract status. And, you know, I, I can see how the WWE will handle wrestling media. But, I mean, they put this statement out to numerous outlets that – I have a really hard time imagining that they would lie to uh, to media outlets. I just think that's a really bad look on their part. And I realize I'm saying this the week after they did all this John Cena stuff. But that was not – I mean they were never flat out um, you know, called upon that by any major outlets or anything like that. So, I mean the WWE is not obligated to address this. I was surprised they did. They could have very well just um, ignored this and – just said we we do not comment on contractual matters of current talent. Dean Ambrose is currently under contract as we speak, and that's it. They could have done that. So they went out of their way to address this, state when his contract is up, and be pretty definitive that he's leaving at that point. So, yeah, it did surprise me the way in which they uh, addressed this and how you even program him moving forward. I really don't know, especially if the idea is to, you know, for him to do a program with Nia Jax of all people. Um, I, I, I find that very interesting. Uh, the, the idea, first of all, that he is the one to be in the program with Nia Jax. And uh, 
whether or not it even comes to fruition at this point, I'm I'm really uh, um I I really don't know. I really don't know. I could see them scrapping it. I could see them going ahead with it with with maybe a a, a participant who might not be all that willing to to go ahead with it. Um, or maybe he'll just be a professional and and go decide to do his best in this Nia Jax program. I don't know. Um, but it's it's fascinating. Of course, the other big story or the big question coming out of this is what is the status of Renee Young? She she's probably under contract. Do we know the extent of, of maybe what her deal is right now? Just that there's there's time remaining on her deal. It's not as though her deal is up uh, at the same time. Right. But I, I mean, it's been known like Renee Young has options that are that are out there. I think that if she uh, had had wanted to pursue them outside of WWE, that's something she, she could do and probably um, have success in the world of sports broadcasting. Yeah. And I wonder if that would have any decision in the WWE on how they treat Dean Ambrose in these last few months. Obviously, it's not a scenario where you want to completely damage that relationship, especially when one of your commentators is the wife of this person. You don't want to turn. I, I don't even know if, you know, necessarily just because one wants to leave, like Renee's in a very good spot there. Mm-hmm. She seems to really, you know, from all accounts, be very happy. She may not have any uh, desire to leave just because, you know, her husband is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It's it's really hard to say without knowing, you know, what, what they're personally talking about right now and what they personally think. But it, I think. One thing that seems clear is that Dean Ambrose probably isn't very happy with the way his heel run has been thus far. I think that, you know, my final thought on this is just when there's time left on a deal, I always leave it to like there is that area that a lot can happen in several months. CM Punk was out the door. Everybody believed that guy was done up until that money in the bank show. And he stuck around. He stuck around probably longer than he wanted to. But it ended up they they were able to convince him to stay. And, you know, even we, we look at Kenny Omega now. It's just you just don't know what kind of offer is going to come your way. And if this company in the next three months, if there's a change of heart, if there is something that this company can offer him that is more enticing, you just don't know. They have until April to, in theory, um, potentially change this. But it is a strange negotiating tactic that if you have a desire to keep this guy making this statement uh, so definitive as it is now. We also and, know, and if not, they could, you know, ultimately surprise people. Right. And and if, uh, you know, the reports are to be believed, we know that, you know, what what's going to keep Ambrose is not necessarily a higher raise. It's not more money. It's creative freedom, seemingly. It's, it's maybe just a better uh, product that suits his tastes. Can those things be given to him, especially in Mania season when so much is already set in stone? You know, um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting time, and it's a lot of fun. What are the chances that uh, Dean Ambrose, Jonathan Good, could go to New Japan, join Lij, and we get the much sought after tag team of Good and Evil? Wow. Uh, I didn't know that was sought after until you just mentioned it. Time me up. Just came to me. All right, let's move on. Uh, on that note, Raw on Monday night did two million seven hundred and three thousand viewers for the night after Royal Rumble, which is one of their biggest Raws of the year. It is their highest number this year and highest since Labor Day. But 
comparing it to last year's night after Royal Rumble, like these are where these drops get really pronounced. If you're comparing it to a year ago, they are down 20% from what they did last year, which was the night after Ronda Rousey's debut. So that was a very, very big um, publicity that they received for Ronda Rousey signing. But nonetheless, that's the uh, the year-to-year comparison. Uh, Kushida had his farewell match today at uh, Korakuen Hall against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Are you going to watch this match at some point, Way? I watched it, actually. Oh, you did see it. What, what did you think of it? I watched it as well. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, a lot of kind of... Um uh what what looked like like you know uh slow rolling for in a jujitsu sense that was it, to me like always it's always like kind of something i i love watching and as a match itself it it was like it was good i'm not going to say it was like you know up there even with like the best of wrestle kingdom or or the best of this year thus far but seemed like a very nice send off appropriate for him yeah i i liked the match a lot um you know tanahashi got to kick out of back to the future Kushida got the knees up on the high fly flow and the knee had been attacked by Tanahashi throughout the match and then wins with the cloverleaf. And then afterwards, they did an angle where Jay White runs in attacking Tanahashi during this farewell moment with Kushida and Kevin Kelly just lost it. He was furious at this disrespect by Jay White as he uh, attacked Tanahashi's knee, wrapping a chair around it. So... That will probably want to be one of the factors in their match next weekend uh, when they have the match in Osaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did we have today? Oh boy, we had the Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing. Way, what a th- what a show this was! Three hour hearing for John Jones. And what tra- are the results? I transcribed the entire three hours. Do you want me to start? Mm-hmm. You can play Anthony Marnell, and I will play uh, John Jones' lawyer. Um. I'll just take the Coles notes, please. Okay. Well, first first of all, they had – this was a – there was a double main event because we also had Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor who were not there in person. They had reached a settlement agreement ahead of time, this coming from the big UFC 229 brawl that occurred afterwards. Uh, so they did not have to appear at the hearing in Vegas today, but they were issued their fines and suspensions. Uh, Nurmagomedov received a suspension of nine months, which is retroactive to October the 6th when the event took place, and a fine of $500,000. He got a guaranteed purse of $2 million for the fight. Conor McGregor, for his role in the brawl, got a suspension of six months and a fine of $50,000. Now, on the surface, what do you think of those uh, figures and clearly seeing Nurmagomedov as the perpetrator getting a significantly higher fine? Yeah, ten times more. Um, I, I, I. It's a I big mean, discrepancy, but I do see the yeah, point I see, that I see, Nevada is trying to make that this was. Now you can get into the the whole instigation of this brawl. Physically, it was Nurmagomedov that caused all of this. His defense will be that Conor McGregor's conduct at the press conference and in the lead up uh, led to this, and. Anthony Marnell, who is the the head of the Nevada Athletic Commission, he was bringing this up after that he feels uh, the commission and the promotion, they're going to have to start to look at this. That language that incorporates race and family needs to be stopped. And you're, you're getting into a really weird territory where you're trying to police language. And they kind of admitted they don't really know how to go about this, but are aware of it, that they're they're not blind to the fact that Conor McGregor's 
words building up this fight, whether it was done for promotional purposes or not, um, had an intended effect. Uh, and Nurmagomedov responded after this fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad at least that they're having these discussions and, and trying to maybe come up with a solution that might be uh, that might help in the future in case, you know, uh, something worse could have happened to, to people in the public. So um, I, I feel like it's it's a somewhat justified punishment in the end. I, I feel like it's a bit of a slap on the wrist for both of them. Like if Nurmaga Madoff beyond the two million dollars, how much would he have made? Oh, this does not include what what his cut of the pay-per-view was. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these two, that was a 2.4 million buy fight, which also goes like this is the direct contradiction is that the commission is stating that this kind of language ahead of time needs to be stopped. But I mean, we can't kid ourselves that a lot of that language led to the biggest buy rate in MMA history yeah. between these two. And is a fighter like a Conor McGregor going to be uh, swayed by um, a language tax that he's got to pay a hundred thousand dollars for promos uh, when oh he's making so much. It's I just don't understand how you're gonna, uh, you know, it's it's a fine theory to have coming out of a brawl like this. I just don't see it being enforceable in any way or even practical, to be honest. Oh, think about the amount of press that they got, the amount of commercials that they would have been able to purchase, like that they did end up purchasing with that fine. That's what it cost them. I I would love to ask the Nevada Commission, okay, you guys want to, you know, uh, to have a clean promotion. It's like in your – in these arenas, there was no issue airing those commercials for this fight that involved the the Dolly attack. I mean that's a pretty black mark on MMA, and the commission really didn't raise any issue with that being part of the promotion of this fight either. So – yeah. Like, this is the industry you're in, and you're benefiting from it, and also trying to police it at the same time. So yeah. it, it's very difficult to to weigh them. And I, I would say $500,000, that's a statement to Nurmagomedov. And he has stated um, through his manager to Ariel Hawani, he does not plan to fight in Nevada again and will not fight until the subsequent suspensions of his teammates, uh, who are also they, – they were fined twenty five grand each and for a year um, – he will not fight until their suspensions are up uh, in October. So he is at least standing firm that he will not fight in Nevada again. Many fighters have said that, but Nevada is a big part of the UFC's business. So we will see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't see much of the result of, of what's going on here to really discourage anybody from attempting the same tactics in the future. It's, I think it's just part of the promotion now and... You know, everybody ends up making more money as a result of it, including the commission. What is that like? What what do they do with that money? I mean, the the it doesn't go to the commission. The what these fines go to like a a, a fund for the state, and every year the commission they get a like there's a an amount that is budgeted for the commission. So it's not a case that they're pocketing this money. For instance, it's not. So it goes to um, the government, essentially. Yes. Yep. Uh, now, the John Jones, the the other half of this bill, uh, again, his hearing went about three hours, and this was off of the abnormal findings they had in several of his tests between August and December, uh, leading into the fight with uh, Alexander Gustafson. And the end result is that they are willing to give him a one-fight license so that he can fight on March 2nd against Anthony Smith, which had already been announced. And 
like they went over the the positive tests that he had, and there were several of them. Uh, one on August 9th, one on September 18th. Uh, then he tested negative on four subsequent tests, and then he had the ones in December. Uh, the December 9th was the big one because that's when it forced Nevada to state, hey, we we cannot sanction you to fight here in the state. We can't grant you a license, and we don't have the time to have a hearing. And the whole event for UFC 232 got moved to California. So California, they had a hearing for John Jones, and – USADA did not disclose to California these prior tests that showed these picograms that showed up. And Anthony Marnell, he was pretty vocal about the fact that the California Commission should be furious with USADA for not having that information disclosed ahead of that hearing. uh, Because that hearing would have probably had a very different tone to it if they had had that knowledge uh, with them. So, um Anthony Marnell and the commission, they were none too uh, complimentary towards USADA and kind of how they handled a lot of this as well. So anyway, John Jones is going to uh, have this license to fight March the 2nd. He's going to be tested at least twice per month until this fight. And they also brought up how Jones, after he failed the test against Daniel Cormier, he went 10 months without being drug tested. And that seemed to be a, a big gap in time for a guy that, had failed a drug test in 2017. So they just seem to be mystified by all of this that is going on with John Jones and not really having a lot of conclusions about how to adequately, you know, adjudicate this guy. It's it's kind of going based on the science that they've been presented with. Um, but, th- you know, there's a lot of questions here about this metabolite and how long is it going to last in your system? But they're confident that he has no performance enhancing qualities uh come fight time but it's all yeah it's it's a very complicated case um where you're getting into science and different theories uh that people have on a drug that you can't really do any meaningful testing with because it it is an illegal substance and there's no kind of peer reviewed testing attached to it i feel like this is like the lex luger bionic forearm storyline where He's got like perhaps some type of legitimate medical need for this enhancing enhancement in his system that makes him that gives him an advantage over other people. And there's you always simplify things so eloquently. Well, I know we have a primarily wrestling uh, fan audience, but um, it's are we going to have to deal with this every time John Jones fights? The short answer is yes. Like they don't know how long this this long-term metabolite could last in his system and it could just keep popping up. And the argument from Jones' side is that he he was fined and suspended for the use of this turinabol and he shouldn't have to be punished again because this is the side effects of this metabolite that or this metabolite that's still in his system. He was already punished for it, so it's double jeopardy to uh, treat any of these tests as separate failures. Um, huh. What what can you tell me about his next opponent? Anthony Smith uh, was a middleweight who came up to light heavyweight last year, and he's had a a really great run. Of uh, he went three and zero at light heavyweight. He's certainly going to be a significant underdog in this fight against John Jones. Um, you know, I I don't think many people are going to be picking. Anthony Smith, uh, but he's had a lot of entertaining wins, has 
solid power at light heavyweight. I mean, sometimes when you see guys come up and wait, you wonder if they're going to bring their power. But Anthony Smith has looked great um, at the larger weight class. He's coming off wins over Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, and then Volkan Ozdemir back in October. So he fought four times last year. So, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, he's fighting John Jones. So the, the big question for me is what kind of a number is John Jones going to do? Because that fight with Gustafson way exceeded my expectations. It did over 700,000 buys. So I'm, I'm curious what a John Jones headline pay-per-view, even against a less of a marquee opponent is going to draw. Um, I'm curious by that. That's that fight is March 2nd, March 2nd. So everyone can uh, jot that down on your calendar. Two title fights on that card. That's got Tyron Woodley against Kamaru Usman and then Ben Ben Askren making his UFC debut against Robbie Lawler on that card. Shall we get to SmackDown? I think that is all the news. There's probably uh, lots more to talk about, but we uh, should get to SmackDown uh, from Phoenix on Tuesday night. Are you going to miss this Phoenix crowd? They weren't as lively as Raw, but they had their moments. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'll miss them. Four, four nights, I think, is plenty. Uh, but, uh, uh, they were a good crowd. It's like, yeah, we, we had four nights with them. We can, uh, we'll see you another time. Yeah. So Becky comes out at the start of the show. She recapped the segment with Ronda Rousey on Monday. And, man, did you see that, that one comment she had about, uh, Ronda Rousey being a killer? Saying you were, you were murdering that segment until I came out and saved you. Uh, what? Oh, it was a it was a tweet that Becky Lynch had where Ronda oh. was referring her to R- Ronda. I'm paraphrasing. Re- referred to herself as a killer, and could kill her with her bare hands. And right. Becky acknowledged that, saying, "Yes, I know. You were murdering that segment up until I came out and saved you." <laughs> I did not see the comment. Sorry. But- so she comes out. She says that the beginning of the Royal Rumble did not go her way. But unlike Ronda Rousey, she doesn't crumble when she loses. She went back out and won the Royal Rumble on one leg, and she's gone from working the pre-show last year to main eventing WrestleMania, wasn't handed a thing, and she saw the one thing in Rousey's eyes that Becky doesn't have anymore. Doubt. Very good promo from Becky Lynch. Really well written, really well delivered. I love the retort from Becky saying, you know, just kind of turning Ronda's criticisms of her uh, going from the kickoff to the main event into a positive. Yeah, I should be proud of going from the kickoff to the main event. Look at what I earned. And throwing it back at Ronda, criticizing her for not having to earn anything before she was given a featured role on the card. So I thought a uh, really great back and forth between the two nights. Very well delivered, too. She's cut off by Charlotte Flair, who came out and attacked her from behind on the ramp. And she ends up... Or, sorry, uh, I skipped right over the promo. Charlotte is out. And she said that Becky learned the lessons from the queen and Charlotte takes all the credit for Becky's success and says that she's now main eventing WrestleMania because of her. And Becky just cuts her off by punching her in the mouth and walks off and she's going up the ramp. And this is when Charlotte attacks her from behind and they keep fighting. They had to be separated by the officials and clearly keeping this uh, going and for those curious, as of today, the plan is still a three-way for WrestleMania with Charlotte involved. Mm-hmm. The amount of like, mm, I feel like public uh, reception to uh, people wanting to see a one-on-one match between these two 
like it to me was completely unanimous after these past two episodes of Raw and the Royal Rumble. I just, I, I, I think it would. I mean, you know, they could prove me wrong, and like all of a sudden, Charlotte, I guess, could catch fire. But I just don't think it's necessary. I think, especially here, looking at it from uh, all three nights, I think Charlotte feels like the a distant number three compared to um, the the how hot Ronda and Becky both are especially when they're together. Charlotte, in this segment, I found rather awkward in delivery. You know, uh, she was doing a thing where she was trying to goad Becky into punching her. I thought the resulting brawl was cool, but there's just something about Charlotte where it doesn't feel like her personality feels as as natural or as believable as, you know, either Ronda or Becky. And at this point, I certainly don't mind her as a placeholder program for Becky until Mania. I think he's she's perfectly good for that. But I think her presence in the main event in between Becky and Ronda, to me, just kind of contaminates that rivalry. I, I always like a big one-on-one match. I think that there's just much more value and stakes in a one-on-one match than a three-way. I don't think Charlotte is is so off the mark. It's just, That was such a home run of a segment on Monday that I think that that is the showdown everyone wants to see even though I think it'll be an excellent match with Charlotte involved as well. So, I mean, that's the plan now. We have seen plans adjust as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's several months out before this, and uh, we've clearly seen this is a company that is not afraid to make changes if they if they sense that something is, is not going a certain way. Um, 2014 being a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's the plan as of today is the three-way. R-Truth and Carmella come out for the next segment. Truth cuts a promo saying he got jacked up by Nia Jax and he went from rapping to napping and he would have won the Royal Rumble. And the McMahons know this, so they've given him a United States Championship match against Shinsuke Nakamura. And thus began our night of U.S. champions. Nakamura early on hit this reverse exploder and then went for the Kinshasa, which was countered with the lie detector, and Nakamura rolled to the floor. Afterwards, they come back from break. Nakamura is going for the landslide, and it's countered with a small package, and the referee counts three, and the bell rings. Nakamura has uh, kicked out, but his, his shoulders are still down. So they replay this again, and they rule that R-Truth has won the United States title. He's the champion. It was really interesting, and it was really confusing. I mean, it was certainly one of those finishes, whether intentional or not, that made you wonder if it was supposed to happen. At least I felt. Because, like, not only was there, like, a sort of a two-and-a-half, two-and-a-two-point-eight, 2.9 count before Nakamura kicked out, Kyoto called for the bell anyway, but these two continued to, like work their sequence you know it felt like it was something that was done mid-sequence with truth continuing to to deliver a leg lariat afterwards and then all of a sudden it just ended so again whether intentional or not whether or not that was supposed to be the finish it was attention grabbing in that it it made you wonder if it was supposed to happen yeah i I think with everything that played out i I think this was the plan i think it was just it was executed well and just everything that followed seemed to yeah uh i i just took this as the planned uh, way this was certainly to truth end. was supposed to win, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think this is the way you would you would want our truth to to win off of something silly like this. And 
the way it just led into everything afterwards. Um, yeah, I think I think that they just they pulled it off really well. Um, Rusev came out with Lana, and Lana's in the, a walking boot now, and he said that this wasn't right. The title deserved better than Nakamura, and it deserves better than R Truth. Makes the challenge to R Truth, and they argue, and Carmella shoves Lana down with a broken ankle. Yeah, very unsportsmanlike. So this set up R-Truth and Rusev, and Rusev's in control, and then Truth pops out of the corner and stacks Rusev and pins him as well. So R-Truth um, flukes his way into two wins and the United States title. And then after the match, Nakamura attacks R-Truth on the floor, sends him into the ring, and he double teams him with Rusev. So Nakamura and Rusev are on the same page, and he gets laid out with a Machka kick, and we have... This bizarre alliance that did not seem to be trending this way after the Royal Rumble. Not at all. To me, it I mean, it really didn't make all that much sense because Lana, his wife, was injured as a result of Shinsuke Nakamura twice. So um, I think it <laughs> I just don't know what type of ex- ex- explanation you could you could give Rusev to for a guy to all of a sudden team up with a man who had his wife hurt. It a guy them... who has organically gotten over is a genuinely popular, popular figure on the show. Let's turn him. Well, it makes him look like a terrible husband. And, you know, we're about to talk about that uh, WrestleMania 34, um, WWE 24 special. And it just brought me back to that period. And even before that, where the Rusev Day chants were just uh, something that, that, were, that was just incredible. And seeing, you know, the state of Rusev uh, turning heel right now, as well as, you know, Aiden English now being a commentator on 205 Live, it just kind of reminds you of what a wasted opportunity all of that was. Becky is showing limping out to the parking lot into her car. Kayla interviews her. She refused medical attention, and she insists she's fine. She doesn't need to spend any more time on the shelf. So the idea is she's working with an injury. Yeah, yeah. So the lesson is you can avoid being suspended if you just leave before they can examine you. Did you think that they were hinting at a future match with Daniel Bryan based on the size of her truck that she drove off in? No. This was a very excessive size vehicle. What was it? Like, um, I don't know. Like an Escalade or something? Yeah, perhaps. Don't they all drive those? Well, I hope Daniel Bryan doesn't. That would really make him a hypocrite. R-Truth is being checked on by the trainer. He says he's good because he's champion. Rey Mysterio is out. He was supposed to have a match with Samoa Joe, but instead was confronted by Zelina Vega, who is upset that Rey had her banned from ringside last week and asks if she is distracting to him. And she insists Andrade is better, and this was all a ploy for Andrade to jump Rey from behind, wearing his suit. So it turns out she was distracting to him, I thought. It literally was, yeah. she was kind of clever. Proved his point. Yeah. Uh, Ray fights back, attempts a 619. It's blocked, and Andrade lays him out with the hammerlock DDT. So I'm fine with this, but these two are going to wrestle forever. Yeah, Andrade did the three amigos, which uh, was the same spot that was used in the Ronda Sasha match, except this time I thought they were intentionally doing it so that Andrade would get booed. Um, I I love the feud, the, the the fact that this feud is continuing. Sometimes I feel like the constant bringing up of Eddie Guerrero feels a little bit cheap especially like since eddie as an element was never introduced at all before in this particular feud but you know i thought all in all it worked 
I thought, you know, in the weeks that have uh, progressed since they've introduced the, this this pairing, Zelina and Andrade feel like they're finally de- developing, and I attribute that to the great matches he's had with Ray. You know what the genius is in WWE is that after Eddie died, like it was the most tasteless use of somebody's uh, memory in Eddie Guerrero being incorporated onto that show. Like it just made you so disgusted that when they bring it back for something like this to gain heat, it's like, oh, it was so much worse at one point that this is nothing. And you suddenly just it's a it's like an improvement on the previous low. So therefore, like it, it doesn't even phase you. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So this time, if somebody gives birth in a storyline to like a half, hand. half a, like an arm, we can right. say at least it's not a hand. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's it was way worse at one point. Yeah. I, I always hate that argument people come back with where they they come up with something worse as though that somehow makes the the example being cited somehow acceptable because it could be way worse. Yeah. Like I uh, I smashed my car. But um, I didn't die. Yeah, that's great. I also have no car any longer. So it's like it's not – it could be worse. Yes, it's still bad. It's just not worse. Yeah, sure. Okay. Not where I thought this uh, segment was going to take us. Rusev is confronted by Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. Um, I forgot they were on SmackDown, to be honest. So this was our, like, refresh I mean, I, you would have forgotten a lot of people that have recently been appearing were still employed by this by this company. You know, you look you look at Bojo Rawley. Um, I I think uh, maybe pretty interesting that a lot of people who typically don't get much airtime are getting that airtime right now. You have to wonder how low you could be on the totem pole that if you wanted to leave and you just didn't show up, would it even be noticed? Uh, I I do I, I certainly wonder yeah who like there's got to be people at that level that could actually pull that off like not showing up oh, at TV who's take, and would someone notice who's taking attendance you know is somebody checking out where Tyler Breeze is at this very moment or or Ty Dillinger I I mean sometimes I I feel like those guys if they whether or not they show up nobody might notice and that's got to suck that's got to just be the worst so. Anderson and Gallows ask him, what, what's your problem attacking our truth He didn't deserve that. And Rusev tells them to mind their business back to catering and tells Anderson to take your girlfriend with you. And they lay out a challenge to Rusev and Nakamura. And Nakamura walks in, accepting the challenge. And Rusev tells him, I will team with you one time. Do not screw me over. And don't break another bone of my wife's body. No. I don't buy that at all, especially this like sucked. this was a terrible night for Rusev and his and, character and Lana. Like this whole time, like when they were doing the double teaming on uh on uh, on uh, Andrade or who, who was it? Um, Ru- Andrade truth. and Ray? No, no, no. Truth, oh, truth. truth. When they're double teaming uh, Truth, you have Lana there standing outside, just grinning from ear to ear at the at, at her husband teaming with the guy who who just injured her multiple times um, over the past several weeks. So. I, I I expected a, a more a, a really a seriously a better explanation than the one that they gave here, which was nothing. Or at the very least, I think you would want some type of contention from Lana asking her husband, "Hey, how could you join up with this guy after he just attacked me?" So I I think it was a bit of poor writing there. 
They showed highlights of the uh, the premiere of Fighting With My Family at the Sundance Film Festival. So we got some comments from Dwayne Johnson, Vince Vaughn, and it's out February 22nd. Shane McMahon and The Miz and their championship celebration. Shane came out with Miz and said that Miz helped him achieve his childhood dream of becoming a tag team champion. And he's never going... Miz will never forget this moment. He's been tag team champion like... Oh, I guess he's not. Yeah, I guess Miz has I, been tag team champion many times. Miz has. Shane has not. Yes. So Shane has a moment planned for Miz that he's never going to forget. And first, Shane McMahon, a man of many talents. When he's not at jiu-jitsu class, he's editing videos. And he throws to a beautiful video package. And the editing of this with the Miz promo about his dad, the music here, all the build-up, trying to convince Shane to team up with him. This video was great. It the whole segment was designed to like let you believe that a turn was completely imminent. But done in such a great way that like these two I, I thought I thought Shane McMahon was tremendous in this segment. Shane starts cutting this promo and he introduces George Mizanin. It's his special guest. He comes out to the Miz's theme. The crowd is chanting Mr. Miz, and Shane says that his dad has something special to say. And George Mazanin looks at his son and says, I love you, and I'm very proud of you. And they hug. Miz thanks Shane. They hug as well. This was awesome. I love this segment. I thought this was so great. Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah. Oh, way. Have you never had your, your father just give you a big hug and tell him he loves you? No. This was a wonderful segment. Like well, if they do, when they get to the turn, it's going to be so much more impactful because of segments like this. Absolutely. Yeah. When do you see that happening? Maybe what they're going to have is they lose the tag titles, whether it be an Elimination Chamber or another show, and... Miz blames Shane because now his father no longer has anything to be proud of him over. So he's going to show his father, I'm going to kill this person that you're proud of in order to make you love me. I must eliminate this other piece of garbage, Shane McMahon Mm. at WrestleMania and humiliate my father's favorite wrestler. Whatever it is, I think they're, they're laying the foundation you know, for that eventual turn really well. I actually expected it at some point here, but the fact that they decided to, to delay it, I, I'm confident that they'll have a bigger moment where it, it'll be even more satisfying. No, I think once you put the tag titles on them, you have to let this simmer for a little bit. Um, I, I thought this was a great segment. I thought this was really, really well done, and I thought Shane was great. And he then announces a four-way elimination match to determine their first uh, title defense, uh, the first contenders. Before we get to that match, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville are interviewed backstage. They just announced they're entering the Elimination Chamber match. And they're in. The graphic was right there ready to put them into the match. No qualifying match. Nothing. They're just in. So it's way better to be a team on SmackDown than Raw. They just declared. And even Sasha tweeted, declared. <laughs> I'm oh, guessing there just like aren't, aren't as many women on SmackDown. Is that it? But there are. There, there's enough women that you could do some qualifying matches. 
Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Like, I guess there isn't a plethora of them, especially when you eliminate, like, Elana, for instance. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, they're in the match. But then we get to the heart of the matter. Kayla then asks about Mandy. Why, why are you trying to ruin Naomi's life? So Mandy, who I guess had been in her uh, editing suite next to Shane McMahon over the weekend, threw to her own footage. And we go back to Tough Enough in 2015 when Naomi was a guest with Tamina and Sasha Banks. And Naomi's giving a big speech that there's no room for weaklings. And then they went through these drills where Naomi instructed Tamina to deliver a splash off the top rope onto Mandy. So she did it. And they come back and DeVille says that Mandy has never been the same since that day. (laughs) Almost four years ago, she's been a wreck. And says, you don't know what Naomi said off camera. She made Mandy cry. And Mandy doesn't cry. So what happened was, after this traumatic day, she developed a complex. A complex that was so bad, her boyfriend dumped her. Ruining her relationship, and therefore... Mandy Rose will ruin Naomi's after Kayla points out that she has failed because Jimmy and Naomi are closer than ever. What was this? I think I'm going to develop a complex if I watch too many of these segments. That was quite the elaborate explanation. uh, Oh, my God. For all this. I'm usually a fan of them using old footage to tell a story, but this was really stupid. (laughs) This was really stupid. Like, I'm not sure if this was supposed to be serious or if it, if, if it was just supposed to be some type of bullshit excuse that Mandy, you know, tried to grasp at straws to make up after the fact. I don't know. Either way, I didn't think it was effective at all. I, I mean, I, look, I thought even Mandy and Sonya couldn't keep a straight face as they were going through this. Like, I'm sure they were laughing their asses off at how stupid they both sounded once the camera stopped. And I think it's unfortunate because I thought the rumble spot with um, Naomi... You know, making that save and then Mandy just tossing her, uh, like knocking her off the steps afterwards. I thought that was wonderful and it was memorable and it 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 did great for this feud. But then something like this just dragged it back down to that unbelievable, goofy, soap opera stuff. So not a fan. This also isn't even consistent with their own story. The night of the hotel segment. We get that backstage segment where Mandy is plotting and Sonya is the one that's like, you're really going to do this? And she's right there on Tough Enough that she supposedly knows all of this trauma that they've gone through. And now she's just like flipped over. So unless you're supposed to inherently read this as bullshit, um, it's just, it's just like inconsistent with like Sonya Deville's character, who at first was like completely against Mandy doing this, and now is backing her up and bringing up all their history. It's like it doesn't even, it doesn't even. It's not even I, consistent. I don't know. I don't know if like what the idea would be if if we're supposed to think that this was bullshit. Because why would Mandy need to lie about a reason to attack Naomi? There's no reason to to lie. About it. So I think this was serious. I think this was what they thought was like the real backstory that we, they could use to to justify Mandy atta- attacking uh, Naomi. Uh, I think it's I, it's pretty bad. Uh, to me, it was like it's it was a new low. 
The Usos. Jimmy, by the way, didn't give a fuck about this. He was ready yeah. for his match. Uh, versus Heavy Machinery, The Bar, and Big E and Kofi Kingston. And this is an elimination match, not Fatal 4-Way. Otis and Big E started their dual hip vibrations as Xavier played the trombone. Otis then caught Kofi on a high cross attempt, and they hit the compactor, and Tucker Knight pinned Kofi Kingston. That's a a pretty strong first elimination for Heavy Machinery, and it was a clean win, too. Yeah, this was the meeting of night and day. Oh, beautiful. Jimmy gets dumped onto the barricade by the bar. They went through another commercial. They're, they double-team him with a fall-away slam as well. Otis hit the caterpillar onto Cesaro for a two-count. Then there's a slingshot into a hip toss by Tucker Knight. Sheamus makes the save on Cesaro. And then Jay returns. Uh, this eventually leads to a brogue kick delivered by Sheamus, and he pins Tucker Knight. Heavy machinery is eliminated. Then we pretty much fast-forwarded right to the finish. There were super kicks to the bar. Jimmy dove to the floor as Jay hit a top rope splash, pinning Sheamus. And it's going to be the Usos challenging The Miz and Shane McMahon. Not the pairing I was expecting. Um, I just assumed they'd go right back to the bar. That's kind of a weird dynamic with the Usos against Shane and Miz. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and I'm almost afraid that, I mean, I already know the result with... Shane and the Miz beating the Usos, which I think would be just a travesty. What are the Usos' division. submission skills like? Are they are they <laughs> experienced grapplers? Uh, I don't know. I really haven't seen too much of it. Uh, how's their striking defense? I think is is more the more important question. Brian then knocks some dude's burger out of his hands as he's walking backstage towards the ring. And our final segment featured Daniel Bryan coming out. And he asks the audience, who won this weekend? And everyone chants Becky. He says, no, the people won, their children won, and their children's children won because I won. The planet's champion. And he brings out his new henchman, Rowan. Long live Rowan. And farewell to Eric. But the moment that just got me was his new Titantron. Oh, I couldn't believe this. Clearly listening to us on Superstars about these green screen logos for talent that could double as t-shirts. We've got Rowan spelt out with the O as the recycling logo. <laughs> it's like, this was the goofiest thing on this show. And that's covering a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rowan the recycler. My God, the man's a winemaker. He's also separating like oh, glass man. from cardboard. I mean, <laughs> I know that like you know there uh, are certainly a lot of comedic elements to this entire gimmick, but I I don't know if like that's Daniel Bryan's intent with it all. And uh, uh, certainly, I think some of it you know is really helping it just make it entertaining. But I don't know. I, I like after day one, I don't necessarily see this Rowan thing being that intimidating of a of a threat um and i feel bad for the guy because i feel like he uh he's had so many false starts so many restarts caught uh, like a bit a bit of success with the the bludgeon brothers but that that looks to be scrapped now and now he's rowing the recycler i'll save my thoughts for the end of this segment uh but i'm i have a feeling you and i are on the same page on the same recyclable page um brian goes over rowan's hands they are dirty because he is an enlightened individual and his intellectual peer. 
And Brian admits he is a hypocrite because he carries around this championship belt. And Rowan brings in a trash can, leading to the crowd chanting, Recycle. And Brian had to fight through this chant to deliver his promo. He says this title is bound to the skin of a cow whose life was taken from her, who he wants to name Daisy. The audience starts chanting for Daisy. Daisy was forced to give her life for this symbol, and he drops the championship into the trash. And then Rowan, who has brought down this bag with him, reveals the new WWE championship made out of sustainable hemp and wood. I couldn't believe they did it. Like, I thought, I thought, um, you know, at some point that they were going to get rid of the leather belt in exchange for, uh, I mean, I'm not sure what they would have replaced leather with, but they went all out. Not only did we get a hemp belt, but oak replacing the gold on this belt. I howled at this. I think this belt looks like shit. Um, yeah. This segment to me, this was where Brian to me, went from like kind of being able to balance that line into like King Booker territory for me. I think that the combination of, you know, that portrayal at the end of raw where man, it was like, it was, this guy is the SmackDown's Brock Lesnar. You know what I mean? And he was a complete afterthought in that segment. And on this, like this just feels like too comedic, of a gimmick now with this goofy belt, the recycler in your bat in your uh the ring with him. It's just I-, I-, I think there's too much of this character that is overtaking uh the the position of number one heel on the show. I I totally understand the criticism. Yeah, I do. Cause you know, um I think we all have fond memories of a gimmick like King Booker's, but I guess I never see a gimmick like that as sort of a headliner. It's more of a mid-card, upper-mid-card act. It's the role that he's supposed to be providing as, you know, the number one. Essentially, you're your person that is is headlining your shows. That is your top guy. Yeah. And And, Brian certainly can be that guy. And I think he was doing a good balancing act of that. But uh, between the portrayal of the SmackDown champion Monday and this, um, this felt like many steps too far in the wrong direction. It's something that they certainly have to be careful with, and and I I could totally understand if somebody felt like this was a bit much. I did think the oak and hemp belt was a good idea to just get heat on Daniel Bryan. I think, for me, AJ has been a a babyface that's been completely lacking. And I don't even know if he's going to be the main contender now uh, for the belt, but I think... As much as somebody might agree with Daniel Bryan's message, nobody wants to see their championship belts messed with. You know, as much as somebody might might not want to wear uh, leather, they, I think we can all accept uh, championships made out of leather and gold. So, remember like when John Cena had the spinner belt, everybody wanted to see him lose so that they could one day replace that belt with the proper championship. I think Bryan having an oak and hemp belt will will have the very same effect of making people want to see him lose just so that the, that proper championship can be restored. Here's my biggest problem is that whoever beats him for this title, you are not getting a new championship belt until the next television taping. So that means 
that if Samoa Joe beat Brian, <laughs> yeah. he would have to hold up this thing and sell it as this career achievement. Randy Absolutely. Orton would have to lift this up for that crane shot as he's holding up this fucking belt. Wouldn't for be great one if, like, night, yeah. one of these idiots has to hold that belt up as it's the biggest prize in the world. And that visual alone, I cannot take that person seriously. For one night, John, this will be WrestleMania, man. This, and, could be, this will be the this, title that's held up by the referee at the start of your WrestleMania title match, which at this juncture is going to be the third match on the card. Imagine if it's like Mustafa Ali versus <laughs> Daniel Bryan, WrestleMania championship match, and Mustafa Ali finally does it. He was a former cop in Chicago. He he uh, worked through a, a, a prejudice and, and discrimination in order to get to this point, just so that he can close this match with the... Paper championship. Literally, he will be a paper champion. It's a great gimmick, but this is a gimmick that's designed for the United States champion, like at that level. And that's my biggest issue. With I, I, I understand the critique. Yeah. AJ comes out and he asks, <laughs> he did have a good line here. He asks if Brian smoked the prototype of that championship before mm-hmm. this segment. That was one of AJ's better lines he's had in a long time. Yeah. He says uh, it was followed by an equally awful line. For someone that doesn't like big business, you certainly went out and found the largest insurance policy you could find. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Quit while you're ahead, dude. He had such a great line. I'm literally writing that down, and then that comes out of his mouth. Randy Orton comes out. Uh, We went through the commercial. When we come back, it's like the procession of challengers has made their way out. They were uh, pretty short on time. It, it felt. They were very short. They came back. They had like five minutes left in this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Hardy is out. Uh, Mustafa Ali comes out. Orton, who just ugh, cuts off Ali and mocks him for getting beat up by a girl at the Royal Rumble. That was bad enough. But then Ali goes for his comeback line, and it's cut off by Joe's music. He just felt like such a dork here. Man, in like two, like in in just a, a ten second thing, like I feel like they kind of like got rid of all the goodwill that they they've been building up with Mustafa Ali with Orton. First of all, saying a line that feels incredibly distasteful, and 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 going against I think what they're trying to build with Nia Jax. Um, I what was the point of that? And then to not even allow Ali the time to give himself a comeback, I thought made Ali look really stupid. It's, you know, that that's that's a small example of where baby faces have such a struggle in this company because they can't help like cute lines that are, are going to get a laugh from somebody. And yeah, Ali just felt like such a such a punchline. Like he was the segment. guy who, he he knocks the mojo out of the rumble and I, I feel like coming out that of was it, forgotten. That completely. was totally forgotten. Um, even with the the veiled reference here, when Joe comes out and Joe just goes to town here, he says he isn't asking anyone for permission for a title match. He came to put a champion to sleep. He promises to defang the Viper. He doesn't know why Jeff is here. He should pretend this is an AA meeting and shut up while I'm sharing with the group. And that line was so great. Jeff Hardy started laughing. He then runs down Ali. And says that Ali's eyes don't lie either. And they were shut last week when I put you to sleep. And then walks up to AJ. How's Wendy doing? Oh my god. This was just great. It was like Joe was told, hey, you have 10 seconds. Just ether everybody. Yeah. Oh, he, he was great here. Yeah, he, he came out in, in a blaze of glory. But, I mean, to me, though, the whole thing at the end here just felt very chaotic. 
Yeah, I, I wonder what went long, whether it was Brian's promo or the elimination match, because certainly, like, they never leave the final segment for this short amount of time, mm-hmm. especially with such a big match to set up. So everyone's brawling. Brian yells, no one is getting an opportunity. I'll be champion forever. So Triple H shows up on the screen. He says, Brian will not be taking on any one person. He will defend the title against all of these people at the Elimination Chamber. And Brian runs off to the back as they continue fighting to end the show. Very awkward, very rushed ending to the show. Um, and whatever, coming out of it, the idea is just you you know who your participants are for the for the Elimination Chamber. And they they got to that. As are you surprised? Thing. Are you surprised that they are doing the title match at Elimination Chamber and not uh, a contender match, which I guess they'll just save now for Fastlane the following month? Yeah, I think they like don't they tend to do the championship match here at this point just so that you can headline the show with a a chamber match for the belt rather than, you know, somebody to face the winner. They've they've done both in the past. Um, I guess since you do have that pay-per-view in March, you do need to have some stakes on that show as well. So it looks like you'll, you'll set up the SmackDown title match at fast lane. I would assume whoever's champion out of this match and then crowning a challenger. Yeah, I guess. Sure. That was SmackDown. Um, not, um, certainly not at the level SmackDown was a week ago when everyone was heavily praising that show. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I yeah, I had my issues with this show, but man, maybe I'm alone. I really enjoyed that Shane McMahon segment. I thought it was really good. I was uh I think disappointed with some of the follow-up like with Rusev. I I I'm completely um kind of uh, mystified at at his character direction, although I I don't mind Truth as US champion at all. I think uh Becky and Charlotte seem to have something going on. Um which, you know, is somewhat intriguing, but it certainly feels like the B program right now. Um, and the main event, I the main event segment I thought was pretty sloppily put together. So someone had pointed out uh, on Twitter that you guys called it. Way was just saying on Rewind to Raw that Brian hasn't done the hypocritical heel thing yet. And he did it tonight on SmackDown. A few weeks ago, you guys were talking about how awesome it would be if Daniel ditched the leather belt for a vegan one. What, what, well, we were wrong. What's hypocritical? <laughs> uh, I guess he meant the hypocritical thing about Brian having the 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 belt, the leather belt. Oh yeah, yeah. We so weren't the only ones to suggest that. No, I mean this had been out there a lot, but like he cut a promo about about his belt, like at one of the 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 pay per views, or, or that's right. Yes. Some of those things. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to say, I had more um, things I didn't like about SmackDown than I did like, like the Rusev stuff, Mandy Rose and Deville, the the goddamn hemp belt. Um, you know, Ali. I, I thought that you know that's he's so fresh. You don't want to be trivializing him uh, because he's certainly got something. I, I wouldn't have been positioning him in that light. So. But like it, it's that like one simple line, and I thought Orton like made Ali look stupid. He made Nia look stupid, um, and it was just like so, like for what for what game for a momentary pop for a guy yeah. that's not even a babyface. Like it was just so unnecessary um, and detriment detrimental is overstating it, but just yeah, very unnecessary for Ali's character to, to like he's gonna be the guy that was eliminated by Nia Jax. Like that's, mm-hmm. 
kind of his his label coming out of the rumble. All right, let us head on over to the feedback. We only have a few here. Paul from New Jersey writes, actually, first, our poll. Uh, let's see. I'm giving this show a 5.86. So Raw outdoes SmackDown this week. We, yeah, let's go to Paul. All right, Paul. What a night for champions and championships. R-Truth winning the U.S. title was fun, unexpected, and a consolation for being taken out of the Rumble. Totally fine with the storytelling. Daniel Bryan's character work has been nothing short of spectacular. It's only logical this character would have a hemp belt, hopefully smokable. Lastly, I have to give a big shout-out to the Arizona crowd for these last few shows. So many times a crowd can be obnoxious, trying to get itself over, but I found them witty. Credit where credit is due. The WWE did a very good job these last four days. Eight hemp belt tokes out of ten. Doesn't that have to be the the conclusion of this whole thing instead of that belt being um thrown in the trash it has to be burnt it should be right yeah yeah you have to see that belt be lit on fire we got a jay from colorado who says daniel bryan is everything i want him to be i'm loving the pairing with rowan i'm loving his promos and i freaking love the new belt made out of hemp wood and crystals and as a hippie myself, I'm in tears over here. If the WWE offers it for sale, I will buy a belt for the first time ever in my life. Also, Eric Rowan's shirt last night was of the legendary Frank Zappa, not Charles Manson. Just wanted to point that out. Well, thank uh, you for that, Jay. There you go. Um, can they make that belt? Like, can they mass produce a belt like that? Sure, you could. Out of hand? I, I don't and, know. And wood and, and rocks? <laughs> I think it would take a lot of time. Yeah. I don't know how much... Uh, it would cost though to put, make one of those. Like it's not a, doesn't seem like the same kind of ordeal that a, a major championship belt would be oh. to construct. All those belt makers right now, I'm sure, are trying to investigate like how to work with hemp right now, just so that they can put one of these together. All right, are, are we going to see fans now at uh, all the shows go walking around with these these hemp belts? Absolutely. Gerard, a mixed show, weakest SmackDown so far this year, I'd say. I'm looking forward to the Elimination Chamber WWE title match, and Brian's work has been excellent, but it's kind of weird in 2019 that we're supposed to boo a guy who is wearing a shirt that says no violence, no homophobia, no racism, etc. The Becky Charlotte stuff was executed well, but ultimately I think the match should just be Lynch versus Rousey, so I can't get completely into it, even though both are doing great work. The Mandy Rose and Naomi stuff continues to be incredibly cringe. I can't completely hate R-Truth winning the title. I've been a fan of his since the K-Quick days, but I don't think this is going to turn into a very eventful storyline. Rusev and Nakamura seemingly forming some sort of partnership makes no sense. In the past three years, Nakamura managed to go from one of my favorite wrestlers to someone whose matches I'm willing to take a bathroom break during. And that, that is our feedback. Well, um, I guess for some... They were big fans of the hemp belt. Yeah, I mean, reaction online seemed to be uh, overwhelmingly like in favor of it. Just, I think it's it's hilarious. So, I think everybody really likes this Daniel Bryan character. But I think like the criticisms that you brought up were very valid. You know, how, what is the ceiling for a character like this? Can main event a show? All right. Well, that's going to bring an end to the show. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. And I also want to thank everybody. Uh, we had a very strong month here at the site. And I want to thank all of the listeners, uh, whether you have been uh, following for a long time or you're a brand new listener. Uh, we welcome everybody. And thank you very much. That is it. Uh, Way and I will be back. We have the double shot that is up uh, probably now by the time you're listening to this. If you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe with multiple reviews coming your way. Total Bellas. Being the Elite. WWE 24, 
the new WWE Chronicle, and February 21st, 2000, Raw is War from the Georgia Dome, as I take way back to 2000, and we contrast where this product was some 19 years ago as we get set for our No Way Out review to, from 2000 on Friday. So you can check all of that out, postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and we'll chat with you later.